People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. We're here for another episode of Premier League Insights as we prepare for game week 11 of the season. Back today after a brief stint away is Jake Osgathorpe from InfoGoal. How are you, Jake? Yeah, very well, thanks, Ben. Um, I'd like to say well-rested, but uh, you know it's been a hectic week to start off with and obviously we're filming this a little bit later. So um, yeah, there's plenty of preparation already been done, so hopefully this will be a, a really insightful podcast for everyone. Glad to hear it. And it's, a, it's another one where the, the fixtures do look decent and as we do every week we've got our predictions coming up and and Liam to to give him some credit he came in last week he did a decent job specifically on the the predictions front as well didn't quite get the the Chelsea win but Wolves at a fairly big price would have boosted the the info goal profits for the season um Pinnacle however a bit of a poor showing on our behalf both the the over 2.5 in the Chelsea Tottenham game and the under 2.5 in the Arsenal Wolves game failed to land so we're a little bit behind now in the in the in the race or the the profit stakes um so we'll see how we get on this week um pinnacle's highlight fixture for this week is uh, it's the North London derby Arsenal travelling to Tottenham and it's it's a big one obviously for for the teams, the fans, and it's it's one that gets the spotlight from Pinnacle this weekend. What is uh what's info goal going for? Yeah, the game directly after that, Liverpool versus Wolves. I think that's um it's potential to be a really interesting matchup given the fact that obviously Wolves recently switched to a, a back four system and had uh, really good well, quite a lot of success at the Emirates last week. I think they could be in uh, in for a really interesting game testing Liverpool to the max. All right then, well let's let's move on to our fixtures and We've now we we know that Aston Villa Newcastle is postponed due to the the COVID outbreak in in Newcastle. So our first game this week is actually Burnley versus Everton, and I think Burnley were always going to face a, a tough test going to to City, and I think the writing was on the wall pretty early on. City dominated the game that perhaps didn't create chances equal to the five goals that they actually scored, but Burnley were never really in it. I don't think they can have too many complaints about the result. Um, they'll they'll certainly be more hopeful of, of getting something out of this game at Everton because um, they've I mean Everton have really dropped away after that impressive start. I think they've only won one of their last six. Um, they won four on the spin to start with. The the processes has taken quite the hit as well. Um, not too bad going forward, but they gave up three point three eight expected goals in their their last game against Leeds. And whenever you do that, you, you're going to struggle to get a result. Um, they're actually averaging 1.72 xG against per game, which is, is is also the fourth worst in the league. So, some warning signs there after a very positive start for them. But um, the odds have Everton a, a bang on even money at the moment, 2.0, so 50% chance win probability for them. Um, Burnley a 4.11, which is around 23% chance, and the draw is 3.56, so so 27% chance of that happening. Um, and the total is set on the league average at 2.5. Easy to see why betters are keen on the under here. An Everton side that are struggling for form against a, a usually resolute Burnley who are also playing at home. Um, I know you often comment that the market seems to underestimate Burnley, Jake. Do you think that's the case again here? 
Yeah, a thousand percent. Um, I think it's just purely because Burnley's not a fashionable team to bet on. <laughs> um, they, um, you know, they they really are um, underestimated pretty much week in and week out. And um, for whatever reason, Everton are being overestimated in this match. Even money for me is is over the top. It's way too short. Um, the Infocore model actually has Burnley as favourites to win this game, showing just sort of the disconnect between the model and the market. Um, and I'd much rather side with what the Infocore model is suggesting than, than what the market is, and especially when you look at the, the recent performances of Everton. Um, obviously, the, the game against Leeds you highlighted there. They got absolutely hammered in terms of XG. They should have conceded at least three goals based on uh, on our model. Um, and they were fortunate to get away with just a 1-0 defeat. But that means that they've only picked up four points from a, a possible 18 um, since the October international break. Um, and yeah, everything's looking a little bit negative. And obviously, they're still missing some really key players, the likes of Coleman and, and Luca Dean. Uh, Dean, in particular, he's only missed two games so far this season. One of them came at Newcastle in which they conceded 2.8 expected goals and the other game was against Leeds in which they conceded 3.4. So he he's pretty key. Um, obviously, you can't just say that that his his absence led to those defensive performances, but um, you know he's contributed to that and he's a very prominent player for their attacking um, process as well. He's you know one of the better free-kick takers, one of the better corner takers and obviously his, his crosses into the box are, are, have supplied goals already for the likes of Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison. So he's a big loss for them. Um, and yeah, I'm just not having any of any of Everton this weekend. I think people will look at Burnley's recent result against Manchester City and think, oh, you know, they're, they're rightly at the bottom. But let's uh, let's be honest. I mean, every time Burnley go to Etihad, um, every season it seems to be 5-0. Um, that's just customary for Burnley. For whatever reason, Sean Dyche's side just don't really play very well against Manchester City. But prior to that, they had looked really, really impressive in a win against Crystal Palace. They were pretty dominant for the most part with... Um, Palace's only big chance coming very late on from Christian Benteke that made the XG scores much more uh, much tighter than than it was uh, the the score uh, the actual match probably was um, and then yeah prior to that again two clean sheets against um, two of the I guess well, two teams that aren't the big six Brighton and, and West Brom um, in you know sandwich in between that were two defeats to Tottenham and Chelsea which were again understandable so. Yeah, I'm, I'm still quite bullish on Burnley um, staying up this season. I think they're going to have enough to do that. They're in a bit of a predicament at the moment. But um, yeah, they've got game in hand as well, which let's not forget about that. That could be uh, a couple of points right there that would drag them straight into it, back into the, you know, the, the equation. So yeah, overall, Burnley have been, um, as you would expect, really solid defensive. They've allowed only five non-penalty big chances so far this season, which is the joint fewest in the entire Premier League, um, highlighting that when they do concede chances, they're not of um, a, you know, a big calibre. Um, and they've conceded chances equating to just 1.03 expected goals a game uh, per game in their four matches as hosts. And if you look at the games that they've played at home, they've played Southampton, who are obviously a team that, that we liked a lot at the start of the season and have have made a really good start to the season. They played Tottenham, they played Chelsea, and they played Crystal Palace. So they played three really tricky home games um, before the Crystal Palace one, and conceded very few in the way, a uh, few chances. Uh, but the problems of coming attack, you know, the, as, as you mentioned, not creating too much. 0.86 expected goals four per game is what they're averaging so far this season. So they they do need to improve on that front. But um, you know, Everton, as I mentioned, the defensive process really has taken a, an absolute nosedive since. Their, um, you know, the winning streak came to an end. Um, in the last six matches, they've conceded two point two five expected goals against per game. They've um, they've conceded seventeen non penalty big chances. Um, 
so far this season, which is, uh, sorry, she's got 14 non-penalty big chances, which is the, the fourth, uh, fifth most in the Premier League. There's only Sheffield United, Fulham, West Brom and Arsenal that have actually conceded more. Um, but 10 of those have come in the last six matches. So there has been a real deterioration um, over that little period. Um, and as I said at the top, Burnley, we, we make them favourites on the Infocore model now. They're a big price to get a win, um, just over three to one, I think, at the moment. I think, you know, I would I would happily put a small stake on that, but I think a safer bet is to get Burnley on side with the double chance. I think that's around 1.85, 1.9 kind of price. And uh, that to me is a huge value bet and something that, that I would definitely be backing myself. I think that, um, you know, a staking plan maybe on this game, a small one point bet on Burnley, uh, maybe a two point bet on the double chance, something along those lines would be the way to play this. And, um, you know, you mentioned the goal line is um, airing towards the unders, the market, um, the models bang on with what the market is suggesting. And, and the same with both teams to score with around a 50% chance of both teams hitting the net. So, yeah, low-scoring game in which Burnley gets something, as tends to be the case when Burnley play at home. Now, I know, I mean, we're 10 weeks into the season, 10 podcasts, and I think almost on every single one I've mentioned Burnley and relegation because it was a weird one at the start of the season where within that bracket, they're still actually even money um, or, or just a shade of, of odds on to actually go down. Um, what are your thoughts on that then? Is it still strange to see that or... or... Can you begin to see why maybe the market's there, or, or do you think they're they've got no they're they're fine and they they should be right? Um, I think it'll be touch and go for them. I think it'll be the closest they'll come to relegation um, over the last three or four years. I think was it two or three years ago where they were uh, bottom of the table around Christmas time and, and they managed to pull well clear. I don't think it'll be as comfortable as that, but I think it'll be something similar. I think. Um, you know, it's something I've spoke about regularly, the fact that they've been missing key players and now getting those players back to full fitness, which is only going to improve the team. Um, they've had a pretty tough start um, in terms of schedule for the season. They've already played Leicester, Southampton, Tottenham, Chelsea. Away at Brighton isn't an easy game. Um, and obviously away at Manchester City. So they've, five of their games have uh, have been pretty tough so far. Um, and I just think that they'll they'll improve as the season goes on. At the moment, Infogol has them forecast to finish 17th, so just above that relegation zone. But I wouldn't be surprised to see them finish even a little bit higher, potentially. It's just all about them getting uh, getting on a roll. And I do think, looking up at that table, there are a few teams that are, um, you know, that I could see eventually being dragged into that relegation picture. Um, I mean, I think it was spoken about on Sky Sports, the fact that obviously Bournemouth last season started so well, they were in the top half after about 10 or 15 games and they just absolutely capitulated and dropped like a stone. There could easily be a team that does something similar. I'm looking at Crystal Palace, I'm looking at Newcastle's potentials for that. So, yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be interesting. But uh, as I said, the Infocom model at the moment has Burnley staying up. Um, so, you know, if you can lay any money on, on Burnley, even money to um, to be relegated, I would do that. Or if there's a, an avoid relegation market, then um, again, get on side with Burnley because our bottom three at the moment is West Brom, Sheffield United and Fulham. All right, well, one of those teams feature in our next game. Fulham are travelling to Manchester City and we also just mentioned how Manchester City dominated Burnley. 5-0 scoreline, perhaps a bit flattering, but it, I mean, to me, it just seemed like City had complete control and, and could open them up at will. And I feel like it was also a result that, that Manchester City kind of needed after some early struggles in a, in attack and, and struggling to score sort of more than one or two goals in the game. Um, it's easy to get caught up with, with seeing them down in 11th as well. But if they win that game in hand that they've got, they're only three points behind Tottenham and Liverpool at the top of the table. So it's really not as as bad as some people may think. Um, 
Fulham Fulham also had a good weekend or, or a good Monday night, I should say. Um, got an unlikely win away at Leicester, one that they also deserved. They, they limited Leicester to just one big chance, cr- created some decent opportunities themselves and they actually managed to score a penalty, um, which which obviously helps as well. Um, it keeps them out of the relegation zone. That They may be looking up instead of down, but they're probably going to have to wait one more week before they start looking up because... They're, they're very unlikely to get anything out of this game. Um, the odds give them just a 4% chance of getting three points. They're priced at 23.79. Uh, Manchester City are 1.125, which is an 87% win probability. It's got to be one of the highest I think we've had in the Premier League. Um, you can also get 10.33 on the draw if you think that that's got more than a 9% chance of happening. The goals mark, as you'd expect from from this sort of game, it's, it's up at 3.5 and 4 um, a little bit too high for betters at the moment. The, the, most of the money's for the under on this one. Um, is there any value on offer here? Do you think, Jake? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think we can we can find a bit of value. Um, obviously, that price about Manchester City. There's going to be no value in that whatsoever, even though everyone's expecting a you know a very comfortable Manchester City win. Um, been really impressed with them mainly defensively so far this season. Obviously, um, they've conceded 1.19 expected goals against, which is actually worse than their their expected goals against per game total from last season. But the AI test does tell you a different, slightly different story. Um, you know the way in which they are keeping things a little bit tighter. Even in their defeat to Tottenham, they conceded just 0.68 expected goals, which is a clinical display um, from Spurs. But you know something we spoke about regularly is, is Manchester City in attack. They're not actually hitting the heights that they did or they have done ever since Pep Guardiola took charge. Um, in his first season in charge, he, they racked up 2.2 expected goals per game. And ever since that that season, it has really it's just kicked on and increased as the seasons have progressed. And last season, it peaked at 2.7 expected goals for per game. This season, they're at 1.62 expected goals per game. So they're really not hitting that height yet of, um, of being an attacking juggernaut. I think they're potentially trying to look at what Liverpool have done in recent seasons, in which they, they've won games at a canter without... Um, you know, racking up exceptional numbers, so playing within themselves almost. And I think Manchester City are trying to do something similar, trying to hold a bit back, given the obviously the, the testing schedule that, that, that they have to deal with this season. Um, I think there's an element of that. I think there's obviously still missing some key players. Aguero being out is a is a big miss. Obviously, Jesus is in there. Uh, he's not quite as prolific as Aguero, but. Um, yeah, there's positive signs that this Manchester City team are starting to click and find their gear. And um, as I said, especially defensively, they have looked pretty, pretty good so far this campaign. And um, yeah, as you pointed out, they're only if they win the game in hand, they're only uh, three points behind lead leaders Tottenham and Liverpool. So all to play for at the moment. And um, you know, I think in our forecast table, we've currently got City second, mainly due to the fact that Liverpool went to the Etihad and got a point. So that head-to-head went Liverpool's way. But yeah, they're going to make a, a real go at it, I think. And obviously, the early season write-offs of, of the likes of Manchester City and Manchester United, even Wolves, I think will um, will eventually well, look a bit ridiculous when this, the season's finished. However, um, I have liked what I've seen from Fulham in the last few weeks. Not only that win at Leicester, but the, the way in which they battled back against Everton, that game looked pretty much over um, and they came back really, really strongly. They were unfortunate, obviously, not to get a point against West Ham with that ridiculous Penenka penalty um, right at the death missed by Adam Luckman. Um, and obviously beat West Brom quite handily. But if you look at the last six matches in the Premier League, Fulham have actually created an average of 1.69 expected goals for per game. So whatever Scott Parker's doing there really is is starting to 
um, get them going in, in, in attacking sense and, and they are creating more and better chances. Obviously, they're going to leave themselves exposed by doing that and, and they have conceded a lot of goals and a lot of chances in that run as well. But uh, it's promising that they are creating at such a rate because we saw last season the the, the one team that, that were much better at the bottom end of the table in terms of creating chances was Aston Villa and they ended up actually being able to pull themselves out of that relegation mire. So um, that bodes well in the long run. I, I do like the system that he's currently operating with. Um, I th- obviously, you've got some really attacking, uh, quality attacking players in there, the likes of Loftus-Cheek. And I think Luckman has been a really good sign and he, he's given them a little bit of flair and obviously a lot of pace. So I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Fulham grab a goal. And that's the angle that I'm taking in this one. Uh, both teams to score. Manchester City kept a lot of clean sheets, as I've mentioned, but um, the way that this Fulham team are playing, I do think that they are capable of, of potentially getting on that score sheet and the the Upcore model calculates a decent bit of value in, in backing both teams to score. Um, it's currently odds against at around 2. 2.05, 2.1. Um, the model actually makes it odds on for both teams to hit the net around 1.95. So there's a small bit of value there um, and that's the way I would go in this given obviously the you know incredible probability of Manchester City winning the match. All right, well, let's move on to West Ham versus Manchester United. And, and West Ham have been, they've been playing well this season. They've looked good in a lot of games, even the, even the ones against some of the better sides as well. However, it has to be said that Monday's game against Aston Villa was not one of those games. How they came away with a win from that, I'll never know. Um, <laughs> it doesn't matter I mean, to it, you, does it, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, you, yeah, I'll take, my, I'll take my fan cap off. They, they've they been lucky to even get a draw out of that based on the expected goals that we saw. Just 0.58 for West Ham, 2.72 for Villa, plus the, the dodgy offside call right at the end of the match. It's West Ham were looking good. I think that's maybe a little sign of worry for them. And, and now they're coming up against a, a decent Manchester United side. They were involved in, in one of the most entertaining games at the weekend. 2-0 down to Southampton, as what was it, 35, 30 minutes to go, and they managed to get the win. Cavani popped up with the goods and, and got a brace. They, they also deserved it based on the chances created as well. It was another game, though, where their defence did a decent job in terms of limiting the opposition, but they still managed to concede and, and concede two goals at that as well. Um, three wins in a row in the league. PSG obviously have, have put a bit of a dampener on their, their good little run across all competitions, but I'm sure United are going to be keen to keep momentum going and, and try and get another win here. The Pinnacle Traders have them up at 2.07 on the road. Um, West Ham are 3.75 um, and the draw is 3.66. So in terms of percentages, that's a 24% chance for West Ham win, a 27% chance for the draw and a, and a 49% chance of a, a Man United win. Um I feel like we've we've had a few instances where Manchester United have stood out as a, a bit of a value play for this season already, perhaps due to a bit of a shaky start. Do you think they're, they're, they offer any value here? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I, I think I, I really want to get on board with them actually this weekend. Um, not, really, not only because what we've seen from West Ham in recent weeks, but um, also the way in which Manchester United have been interpreted at the moment. Um, I think there's quite a lot of people that are writing them off and, and getting them wrong. I think that they will they will come good eventually in this Premier League season. Obviously, they've left themselves a really difficult task now to get out of that Champions League group. I know they only need a point in Leipzig, but tough place to go. We saw Tottenham really struggle there last season. But 
Um, you know, I think importantly, you look at the Premier League table, they've also got a game in hand. And if they win their game in hand, they go level on points with Chelsea. And everyone's been raving about the start that Chelsea have made. So just to put that into a bit of perspective, if Manchester United win that game in hand, they go um, third in the table level with Chelsea, which, um, you know, all of a sudden then, would would they still be questioning what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is doing? Uh, I'm not too sure. Um, you know, something we've spoke about regularly on this on this podcast this season is that Manchester United's defensive process has actually been really, really impressive, um, especially since that 6-1 defeat against Tottenham. Um, ever since that, they've I think they've only conceded more than one XG um, in the Premier League on one occasion. Um, so they've been really, really impressive on that front. And when it comes to the non-penalty big chances conceded, they've actually conceded the joint fewest in the Premier League with just five in nine matches. So they don't give up many good chances. Um, and that is something that I think needs to be celebrated almost because uh, it's not so long ago that they were being called one of the worst defensive teams in the Premier League. So um, that bodes well for them. Obviously, you mentioned there the um, the game against Southampton last week where uh, the XG totals was, was eerily similar to the West Ham-Aston Villa one in which um, you know the home team both scored twice from low probability chances and the away team racked up the XG and the chances. Uh, one obviously got the win and the other team didn't. And Manchester United thoroughly deserved that. 3-2 win. Edinson Cavani showed exactly what he can bring to the table with his poaching-like finishes. Whether he's going to be available for this, I'm not too sure. Uh, I don't know if there's been a verdict yet on on the comments that he made on social media that could potentially rule him out for a couple of matches. Um, but if he if he is available, I think that's a massive plus for this Manchester United team because he really gives them a focal point. And uh, at the moment, Anthony Martial hasn't looked up to the, the standard that he showed us at the back end of last season. So they really do need Cavani um, at his hold up play, his movement uh, and obviously his finishing. Having said that, I think West Ham do deserve a bit of respect um, in this game. Obviously, the three wins that they've most recently picked up have come against Fulham, Sheffield United, two of the bottom four and obviously Aston Villa, which, as we said, was um, a, a game in which they didn't really deserve to win. Um, but prior to that, they, they performed really, really well against some of the best teams in the league. You know, narrowly lost at Anfield, they drew with Manchester City, they drew at Tottenham, they hammered Leicester, hammered Wolves, and they were really unfortunate to lose against Arsenal. So um, I do think that they, they are well suited to playing against the better teams, given the setup, obviously, that they, they deploy. And, and they caused Manchester United a few problems at the back end of last season, if you remember, um, in a 2-2 draw, uh, sorry, a 1-1 draw at Old Trafford. So um, I think West Ham will have a lot of confidence coming into this. But I just think at the prices, having Manchester United at odds against is a... Um, is, is enticing me in. We've got them odds on. We make them around 1.9 to win this game. So anything, I think you said 2.07 there, um, is is a decent chunk of value. And, you know, I, I mean, obviously we, we work with data. It, it, you can't really go on trends, but Manchester United have won eight away Premier League matches in a row. And if they win this, they set a new Premier League record for the most consecutive away wins. Um, I don't know whether that is to do with good performances or whether they're just suited to playing on the road in the system, obviously being able to counter-attack a little bit more. But, um, you know, that that kind of thing, it, when it gets to that sort of number, then you have to maybe start have to take it a little bit more seriously than, um, you know, potentially any, you know, smaller run of around two or three matches. Um, so... Yeah, I'm, I do like the look of Manchester United to win this. I know they've got a big game on, on Tuesday, but Manchester United have got a massive squad capable of rotating and, and bringing in quality players. Uh, you know, you look at the bench the other night against PSG, you've got P uh, Pogba and Van der Beek on the bench, like £130 million worth of midfielders. Uh, Mason Greenwood sat on the bench as well. 
So they've got the squad to rotate if they want to rest a few players. Obviously, Freddie's going to be suspended for the Leipzig game, so he'll probably play here and um, keep Matic fresh, for example. So not too worried about the fact that they, they might be looking to rest and rotate. I think they'll still have enough to, to get a win um, at West Ham, although I don't think it'll be easy. I think it'll be quite a hard-fought one, which brings in a, another uh, another angle, which is the under 2.5 goals, I think. Um, the model's at 48% chance of that. The market's around 45, 46 is small value. I think West Ham can keep this tight at the very least. And um, I won't be surprised to see a narrow Manchester United 1-0 or 2-0 win. All right, well, let's move on to Chelsea versus Leeds as our next game. And it, it is another interesting one. It's it's the late game on Saturday. Um, you mentioned there about the comparisons between sort of Manchester United and Chelsea and how close they could actually be in the table. And Chelsea have got a lot of plaudits. They've they have looked pretty decent and, and kept pace with, with Tottenham and Liverpool at the top of the table. Um they're going to be disappointed to not got a, a win against Spurs, but again it was it was the defence that stood out, even though there's so much attacking talent in that team. And I think that they limited one of the best attacks in the league to just five attempts, one on target, and and 0.19 XG in total. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, in the second half, I don't know if Tottenham even had a had an attempt on goal. Um but Mendy's impressive start does continue. Seem to be quoting his stats every week, but it's eight clean sheets in ten games across all competitions, and just two goals conceded in that period. Um, we're we're probably going to see him tested against Leeds, though they they don't seem to have any problems creating chances. One point eight xG per game, um, fourth best in the league, only marginally behind Tottenham. Um, however, they've they're one team that have kind of struggled to convert their chances. Um, especially of late, and they're they're also giving away some decent chances, but but more importantly, they're conceding at a higher rate as well. So I think for them, the the process is there. The results haven't quite quite followed. Um, they're certainly much better than the twelfth in the table that they're, they're currently sat in. But um, one to it's a step up to against Chelsea, but it's also one where where they can pose a bit of a threat and, and challenge Chelsea. I think. Um, the market does give Chelsea a 61% chance to win with odds of 1.558. Um, Leeds are given a, a 17% chance of getting three points with their odds of 6.11. And the draw is priced at 4.54, which equates to a 22% chance. So um, it's a really interesting one here. The The goals mark is pretty high as well, which is interesting to see at 3 and 3.5. Betters are favouring the under, perhaps buying into that. Mendy's performances and and Chelsea's good record of of uh, clean sheets and, and not conceding many goals of late. Um, but what are your thoughts on this one, Jake? Yeah, I was really interested to see what the Infocom model put out for this. Um, we actually make Chelsea a bit of a value play, which is a little bit surprising, but um, I guess not at the same time. Um, I think Leeds are one of the best teams to watch in the Premier League. Uh, on the eye test, they are probably one of the best teams in the league. But as you said, they, they are... While they do look really, really good going forward and they create a lot of chances, they are very vulnerable defensively. And um, I don't know. I, I think this all depends on approach for me. I think I think Chelsea have shown that they're not afraid to batten down the hatches and and keep games tight. You look at the game against Tottenham at the weekend, the game against Manchester United um, a couple of weeks ago, which also finished nil nil. Um, even the game against Sevilla. The, uh, the night before um, against Manchester, uh, before the game against Manchester United, finished nil nil as well. So they they're not afraid to sort of dig in and and keep games tight um, to sort of almost nullify an attacking threat. And I think that Frank Lampard could do something similar here, um, simply out of respect for what Leeds are capable of. Because if you try and go toe to toe with this Leeds team, I, I would fancy Leeds to um, to create enough to be 
in the game for a long, long period. Whereas if you keep games tight, they do tend to get a little bit frustrated, Leeds. And we've seen that in, um, they've had quite a few narrow, narrow defeats and narrow wins where, um, you know, where, as I've said, that the games have been tight for long stretches um, and they've not been able to really find their groove. So if I was at Lampard, I would be approaching it in that way. Obviously, um, it, it's it, big club mentality. It would co- potentially come into it. But yeah, I, I think this is a really interesting game just purely because you don't know what you're going to get with Leeds from um, you know one week to the next. They've been extremely impressive so far, have Leeds in, in the Premier League. As you said, one of the best attacking teams. They've racked up... 18 expected goals so far this season. Only Tottenham, Aston Villa and Liverpool have racked up more. But on the flip side of that, only West Brom, Sheffield United, Fulham, um, Everton and Crystal Palace have conceded fewer, uh, so conceded more expected goals. Sorry, So um, their expected goal difference of 1.4 um, is good enough for about ninth, 10th in the table, which is about where they deserve to be um, based on the performances. So, yeah, you don't know what you're going to get from them week in, week out. Overall, the process is, is positive. Um, 1.8 expected goals for per game, but 1.66 expected goals against per game. So they are, um, on average, better than the opponent that they're playing against. But that 1.66 expected goals against um, per game is, is is slightly worrying as the season progresses, I think. Um, you're coming up against a Chelsea team here as well, like, like you said, who are in fine form defensively. They've actually got the best defence in the Premier League through... Um, through uh, game week 10, they've conceded just 9.3 expected goals against in their 10 matches. So an average of 0.93 expected goals against per game. That is really, really impressive and, a, and an improvement on last season. What well, last season they were at 1.2 expected goals against per game. So, um, you know, they're, they're, they're trending in a very positive direction that way. But um, in attack, they've, they've not looked as sharp and, um, and as potent as they did last season. They averaged around 2.2 expected goals for per game last season. This season, it's down to 1.67. So, um, while they are looking a little bit tighter at the back, it's coming at uh, a bit of a cost. They're not creating as many chances um, as they were last season. But at the moment, it's not making too much of a difference because of the clinical finishing that they've been uh, displaying. Te- 22 goals from 16.7 expected goals. So if that continues, then they'll remain up and around that, that top four spot. But if the goals do start to dry up and they start scoring at a regular rate, then don't be surprised to see them potentially drop a few points. So, um, yeah, Interesting game, two really strong teams, two teams that have a few flaws potentially that could be could be explored. But um, yeah, I, I think the the price of Chelsea at the moment is enough to get people to probably have a bet on them. But I'd be a little bit wary. Um, I think personally, I, I think Leeds have got uh, are very capable of going to Chelsea and potentially getting a result. Um, or at the, at the very least, keeping it tight. So I'm going to go to the goals market. And as you said, the goal line is quite high. Um, uh, in Leeds' matches, as I've said, against teams that that do set up, not not in a defensive manner, but but are a little bit more cautious. You think of the likes of Sheffield United, even Manchester City this season, Wolves, those kinds of teams, even Arsenal, who are set up in such a negative way. All of those matches have featured under two and a half goals. I would be happy to to chance that this time around, but I think given the goal line is so high, you could even make a case for under 3.5 goals at a slightly shorter price at around 1.6. I don't think this is going to be a a high-scoring end-to-end, toe-to-toe match. I think this is going to be a really tactical, um, niggly battle. And and there's value in in backing the under 3.5 models got around 64% chance. So 
odds of around 1.5 um, or maybe even what maybe even lower 1.4 1.45 um, so the 1.6 available is actually a decent bit of value and that that's definitely the the play I would be uh, I'd be going for in this game it, I mean it is really an interesting one with Chelsea isn't it and how much has changed since Mendy came in and you have to say that the, the potential of the process was always there but what is it about Kepa going out and Mendy coming in is it I mean we're at 10 games now we're not we're not exactly in small, tiny sample territory. We, we've seen quite a bit. Is it his presence and, and maybe some some confidence in him compared to having Kepper behind you, knowing that he's almost going to concede with every shot on target? What what has actually changed with Chelsea that has resulted in in such a shift in in their defensive performances? Yes, I think it's a bit of both. I think um, his Mendy's stature um, is definitely helping. It's calming the defense down. Uh, they've got the trust that if they, you know. We, we talk about expected goals a lot, and one of the main things um, about expected goals is creating a high, probab- high probability chance. Now, if, if Chelsea so far this season have done a really good job of limiting those high probability chances, and um, they did last season, in fact, were basically pushing players out wide or, or allowing them to shoot from a tight angle um, rather than potentially committing a foul or something along those lines. Uh, but what, what was happening last season with Kepa was that they were shooting from those low probability chances and they were going in because he wasn't a very good shot stopper. Mm-hmm. This time around, you've got um, Mendy in, who, who's making those kind of low probability efforts just look really, really easy. Um, and he's stopping them pretty comfortably, which is obviously helping Chelsea keep clean sheets. Because, as I said, so far this season, they've not conceded too many big chances. And um, as, as long as that continues, the... Chelsea backline will continue to to look really strong and, and solid and clean sheet should flow. I think that they're following a similar model to what we saw from Liverpool at the back um last season when we spoke about how they um did a really good job of of reducing the the ex, the post shot ex, expected goals of a particular chance by maybe getting blocks on it or um or forcing them into narrow angles like I said um and with Alisson was basically having a really easy time in the net for most part. So Something along those lines is definitely happening at Chelsea, but the overall aura that Mendy's brought with him, uh, the calmness, the, being able to rely on him to actually make those easy saves rather than um, you know letting them through his hands, as we saw from Kep at the start of the season. I think he started the season at, at Brighton with with one where he should have saved from Trossard. Then the following game against Liverpool, they basically passed one to Mane, which obviously doesn't fill the defence with confidence. So, yeah, there's a lot of factors there, but I think overall... Just bringing him in has really steadied the ship and uh, and made made Chelsea look more at solid defensive the way as actually beforehand they were already pretty good. It was just a poor shot stopping. All right, well we've got we've already talked through some some very decent games and some good games to look forward to. We've next got West Brom versus Crystal Palace and perhaps not one that that most people are looking forward to in in game week eleven. Um, we, we've talked at length about how poor West Brom's process has been since the very start of the season. That They obviously got a very important win against Sheffield United last weekend. It was their highest expected goals total in a, in a single match this season at 1.98. Um, I think they managed that total across like the first four games of the season, if I'm honest. It was, it was really poor early on. Um, so maybe some signs of improvement there, but we've got to remember that Sheffield United are the team that that were next to them at the the bottom of the table. They're now at 0.74 xG per game. the The funny thing is that's not actually the biggest worry for West Brom. I think it's actually the the 2.1 xG against per game that they're conceding because 
if you're giving up chances that equate to over two goals a game against your opponents, then you you haven't really got a hope of, of staying in the league, especially if you're you're struggling to create chances as well. Um, Crystal Palace aren't, aren't quite as bad in terms of either attack or defence, but they are getting pretty close, I think. They've, they've got the third worst process in the league. Um, they're in the bottom five in terms of both attack and defensive process. And while they're... There are a few teams that, that do look worse than them. I think with Palaces, they, they've struggled in terms of that the underlying numbers for quite a while now. And and you've got to be wary of falling into that scrap of the, the bottom four or five teams at this stage of the season because it can be very difficult to get out of that. So if they lose this game, I mean, they, they could see themselves fall into some some big trouble. Um, it is a close one according to the odds, but, but Palace just about edge it. They're playing away from home, but they're they're still posted as a two point six two favourites to win. Um, that gives them a thirty seven percent win probability. West Brom a two point nine eight, which is thirty three percent, and the draw gets the remaining thirty percent at three point two nine. Um, a low a low goal goals total as you would expect two and two point five. The under is actually edging it as well at, at that number. Um, so Jake, it's, it doesn't look like it's going to be a great spectacle, but is there anything for for betters in terms of value in this one? Yeah, the under two point five goals, which is probably not a surprise. <laughs> um, as we, <laughs> you, you just you set me up well there with the, uh, the you know the details that you've spoken about both teams having real struggles in attack. Uh, that's the main angle for this, really. Um, West Brom, obviously, the worst attacking team in the Premier League, racked up just zero point seven four expected goals for per game, which is um, yeah, it's pretty. It's really poor, actually. Um, since we started collecting the data in 2014, Aston Villa um, in 15-16 season were the worst attacking team that we've seen at 0.78 expected goals for per game. So West Brom are on pace to break that. Um, yeah, as you said, that although they created plenty against Sheffield United, they, I think the the game state definitely played into the hands for that one, scoring a goal. Um, in the in early in the first half, and then Sheffield United had to go for it really, which left them open and meant that West Brom could potentially create on the counter attack. Uh, the worrying thing is that against one of the um, you know the blunt blades, they they conceded three point two five expected goals as well, which um, yeah highlights just how poor they are defensively and, and how they can be exploited. But prior to that game, they had looked a little bit more solid um in in certain matches and and you know they're playing with a fight and a desire which is you know is going to pick you up occasionally pick you up a few points so um but yeah it's looking really really worrying for from their perspective they've created the fewest non-penalty big chances so far this season just four in 10 matches um and unsurprisingly they've conceded the most non-penalty big chances they've conceded 19 in 10 matches so um the big chance differential of minus uh, minus 15 is uh, by far and away the worst in the league, and, and you know they are the worst team in the league. No, make no bones about it. Based on expected goals, their expected goal difference of minus fourteen point two is it's nearly ten more, ten worse than than second worst, which is Sheffield United with minus five. So, uh, just to put it into perspective, just how bad they are in terms of the underlying data. Um, but yeah, they play Crystal Palace, who aren't much better themselves. Um, in terms of attacking numbers, 1.2 expected goals for per game. They've created just eight non-penalty big chances themselves in 10 matches, so they're not exactly a potent force. Um, and, you know, defensively, they are marginally better, Crystal Palace. But, yeah, I, I think this is probably a game that neither team wants to lose, which um, obviously brings the low goal total definitely into into play. And um, 
as we've said already, the the poor attacking numbers um, definitely, again, just screams under two and a half goals to me. And, and the price available is short. I, think, I can't remember what you said there for the price, but uh, you're looking around a 58% chance of under two and a half goals. The model goes 68% chance of under 2.5 goals. So you're looking at shorter than 1.5, maybe even shorter than 1.4. I can't quickly work that out in my head. But um, yeah, the model really, really doesn't like um, the idea of this game being a high-scoring one. And uh, it's pretty understandable as to why that's the case. So that that definitely, for me, is, you know, it's a max bet, that one. I, I, I think that the, the 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 way these two teams have been playing... It, I can't see a really high-scoring match at all between the two, and um, obviously it's at twelve o'clock. Better games are coming on later in the in in the day. I've maybe just missed this one completely and uh, and switch your telly on at half past two. So um, yeah, if, if if you want me to pick out a one x two bet, Crystal Palace we think are a value play just purely given uh, West Brom's real struggles and and obviously our ratings are really poor on on West Brom. Small value in backing Palace to, to get the win. They're, they're definitely the team that I would side with to come away with the three points. Maybe throw them in with a, a draw-no bet or something along those lines um, just for that little bit of extra, extra security. So I won't be surprised to see this uh, finish 0-0. All right, well, let's move on to Sheffield United versus Leicester. And we talk about struggles for West Brom. The struggles really do continue for, for Sheffield United. That was a, It was a must-win game for both teams, really. And Despite putting up 3.25 expected goals, they failed to score. The the one nil loss now leaves them bottom of the table and, and three points off Burnley, who also have a game in hand. And, and as we said earlier, they're they're actually looking all right, getting some key players back as well. Um, we're only just over a, a quarter of the way through the season, but it does it already looks difficult for Sheffield United, especially when you look at some of the games that they've got between now and, and Christmas. Um, we've mentioned, I know they got sort of Brighton, Southampton. Um, not sort of really tough games in terms of the top of the table sides, but those teams that are just a bracket below that they are going to struggle against as well. Um, Leicester didn't really do Sheffield United any favours by losing to Fulham either. They obviously, I mean, they didn't do themselves any favours either. Um, missing the chance to go joint top of the table. They are still in the top four, um, but it's the table's really bunched from sort of third, fourth, right down to towards the bottom half of the table at this stage. So I, I don't think we can read too much into into positions at the moment. Um, Leicester probably deserved to be closer towards mid table though, um, based on what we've seen from them this season. And it was it was another game where there was no penalty, no win for them. I said it a few weeks back. If you're if you're relying on penalties to get you three points, it's not going to be long before the results tail off. Um, but penalty or no penalty, the market thinks that Leicester should bounce back with a win here. Um, they're just above odds on at 2.05. <clears throat> um, Sheffield United at 4.01 and the draw is 3.51. So that means it's a 24% chance for Sheffield United to get their first win of the season, 49% for, for Leicester to get a win and 27% chance for the draw. What do you think of the odds here? Is it Are they fair or, or is one team being underestimated, do you think? Yeah, I, th- I think the the Sheffield United have been underestimated. I think the obviously Leicester have been overestimated as well. I think um, just going off even money at Bramall Lane, I think that is way too short for a team that I think is just a mid table team at best. I think that they've been they've shown so far this season that um, they are like you said they're so reliant on the penalties to get them results that when they don't get any penalties or any help from from VAR, um, then they are really poor and you know. Very rare so far this season that you've seen teams hand Fulham, West Brom or Sheffield United a win and that's exactly what they did on, on Monday night. They looked 
Um, really poor, I thought, Leicester in that game. And they have done for a while. I mean, the way in which Liverpool just completely dismantled them, even with the you know, the severe injury list that they have, um, was hugely worrying. Um, you think back to the game before where, uh, before that with Wolves, who they obviously beat 1-0, but <clears throat> they created just 0.49 expected goal, non-penalty expected goals in that game, which is um, you know really, really poor amount um, um, for a team that does boast some really strong attacking talent. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not sold on this Leicester team. I don't think they'll be in and around the top four come the end of the season unless something changes drastically. Um, but yeah, they... they I've got my mass. I've got my doubts about them, and, and Sheffield United. I do think that they are due a um, you know a, a result. I think the performances haven't been as bad as what as what the results suggest. They obviously sit rock bottom with just one point. They're the only winless team in the league now from that defeat to West Brom. But um, the way in which they created the chances last week was you know gives me optimism that that, that a win is only around the corner. Three point two five expected goals without scoring is is one of the um, you know, it's, it's, that's one of the highest XG totals without scoring that we've seen in the Premier League since we started collecting data. I think the only the only game that saw um, you know a team fail to score from a higher expected goals number was Manchester City last season against Southampton. I think it was around three point five at St Mary's. So um, just to put in perspective, just how unfortunate they were not to score um, from from the chances that they racked up. If they continue playing in that same manner, I, I, do, I think that obviously the goals should flow. But the, the finishing is the issue. I mean, four goals from chances equating to 13 expected goals is, you know, it's a really, really poor return, underperforming by nine, um, leaving nine goals out there. So that's got to change if they want to have any chance of um, of climbing out of this relegation zone. Um, but I, I think they can do that. They're obviously, they're missing key players. Same as Leicester. Leicester are missing key players. But Sheffield United um, having to play with not a makeshift defence, um, but not their first choice that obviously had... Um, had played really well for them last season in what was a, a sensational top half finish. So, um, yeah, I'm willing to to give them another chance here. I think that at the very least they can avoid defeat. Leicester, as I've said, they don't create too much from uh, open play, averaging just over one um, non-penalty expected goal per game. So, um, I don't think they'll cause too many issues for Sheffield United, and and obviously the. The only worry is that Sheffield United go after this game to try and win it and, uh, and potentially leave themselves exposed. Whereas, you know, obviously a point would be a decent result for them. So, um, but yeah, at the prices, it's really hard to to make a case to back Leicester. Um, I'm more than happy to take Sheffield United in the double chance market. It's odds on, but um, you know, we're giving Leicester a 39% chance of winning compared to, you know, around a 48% chance on the market. So there is absolutely. A chunk of value inside and with the blades to avoid defeat and that's the main play in this for me um you know again you're probably looking at a low scoring game Sheffield United matches do tend to be um very low scoring just because of the fine margins that they do play with um and as I've said again Leicester they don't create many chances um at all from from open play so under two and a half again makes uh, plenty of appeal that's around 1.85 1.9 um the model makes it closer to 1.7, 1.75. So it's decent value there in back in the under two and a half. Right, so our next game is Tottenham versus Arsenal, the, the North London derby and, and Pinnacle's highlight fixture for this weekend. Obviously, uh, as I said at the top of the show, a big game for, for fans, a, a massive game for the club as well. Um, I think it's one that Arsenal fans are probably going to be a little bit worried going into. Um, the league form particularly has has been really, really poor this season or certainly over the last sort of seven or eight games. 
Um, Arteta's side are currently 14th in the table, four wins from their opening 10 games, um, but it's just one win in their last six. They've only scored two goals in that period, just one of those from open play. Um, there's been a lot of talk about bringing solidity into the team and it has looked to be the case in fairness. They, they have certainly improved in areas, but it has kind of been in, in patches as well. In their most recent games, they, they've given up decent chances to the opponents. They've not really created any for themselves. And after a, a sort of minor recovery that we, we saw from them, it, it looks just as bad or, or even maybe worse, some might say, as it did at this point last season. Um, Tottenham were were kind of in a similar situation to Arsenal as well around this time last season, but they've they've massively turned things around. Mourinho, you, you have to give him some credit. He's, he's come in and made a difference. They're now 10 games into the new season and, and top of the table. Um, they've also played Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea. Hasn't exactly been the easiest of starts for them. Um, but the, despite the contrast across the two teams, how they've performed and, and how they've sort of recovered from where they were a year ago, the market is still fairly close. Um, Spurs are the favourites. They're, they're close to even money at 2.03 or, or 49%. Arsenal were at 3.93, which is around 25%. Um, and the draw is 3.61, and that's 26% chance. So it's, it's Pinnacle's highlight game for the weekend. Local derby, a huge game for both sides. I'm thinking I know where you might be going with this one, but, but what's your prediction for this, Jake? Um, yeah, I think... I don't, I'm, I'm struggling with this game. I'm finding it a really difficult one to assess. Obviously, the market really likes Tottenham. Um, I think these two teams played each other at the back end of last season, and I think Spurs went off around 2.5 for that game. So, um, you know, the, the, the fact that they're, they're now near even money shows you just where the market thinks that these two teams have gone. And one's got severely worse, one's massively improved. And um, the Infocom model tends to agree with that. Obviously, the XG totals so far this season. Um, you know, they say the table never lies. Well, in the case of Spurs and Arsenal, it doesn't because Tottenham have performed like a top four team and um, they sit third in our XG table with a the third best expected goal difference and Arsenal sit in the bottom half of our XG table, which is exactly where they are at the moment with a negative XG process. So, um, you know, the, those these two teams are exactly in, in, the, in the areas where they deserve to be based on, uh, on what we've seen so far. And... Um, yeah, I, I think going into this game, a lot, again, similar to the Chelsea Leeds game, a lot's going to depend on approach. I mean, when you look at Arsenal, the way that they've got the results against big teams has been sitting back and counter attacking. That's exactly what Tottenham want to do when it comes to a big six match as well. So it, it could be a really dull encounter in which two teams stand off each other again, similar to Spurs Chelsea last week. But um, I think we might be in for a little bit more of an entertaining one. I think. I think Mourinho will look at this Arsenal team and see some real vulnerabilities that he can exploit. Um, I don't think this Arsenal team should be regarded as a big six team anymore. I don't think they have been a big six team for the last seven or eight years. Uh, oh, no, that was a bit long. Um, three or four years. Um, you know, ever since Arsene Wenger took out, uh, uh, was, you know, sort of booted out of the club by the fans effectively. I mean, just to put it in perspective, the Arsenal's process. In Arsene Wenger's final season at Arsenal, uh, across the 38 matches. Arsenal had a process of 1.92 expected goals for per game, 1.36 expected goals against per game. So, you know, that is a, a comfortably a top four XG process. Um, under Una Emery, 18-19 season to halfway through the 19-20 season, around 51 games he was in charge in the Premier League. 
the process was 1.62 expected goals for per game, 1.57 expected goals against per game. So you're seeing a decrease in the attacking process and an increase in the defensive numbers. Mikel Arteta has taken over 30 games as Arsenal manager from when he took over at Boxing Day was his first match to obviously the present. And the attacking process of 1.29 expected goals for per game. So you've seen a serious decline from Wenger's final season at Arsenal, where it was at 1.92 to Arteta now, which is at 1.29. And the, the defensive numbers that um, under Arteta in his 30 matches, 1.61 expected goals against per game. So what we see, what I'm basically saying is that ever since Arsene Wenger left the club, their attacking process has severely declined. You're talking around 0.65 of uh, expected goals per game. Um, and the, the, the defensive numbers have, have increased by around 0.25 expected goals against per game. So you're talking an expected goal swing of around you know 0.8 uh, in negative terms. So uh, it just shows you that you know were, they, were, were Arsenal right to get rid of Wenger um, at, that, at that time in, in particular, where they were putting up in really impressive numbers. And ever since then, it's, it's taken a real downturn for, for the worse. And it doesn't look like it's going to get any better. You think, um, you know, you look at the most recent matches, obviously they've won a couple of games in the Europa League, but I think I think anyone could win games in, in that Europa League group that they're in. Um, in the Premier League matches against Aston Villa, Leeds and Wolves, so not even top calibre opposition, but all three of those matches, they've been thoroughly outplayed, um, you know, not just on the pitch, but on the XG battle as well. Obviously against Villa, it was a little bit tighter than the scoreline suggested, but they conceded 1.94 expected goals against, which... For a team that's now renowned as a really solid defensive unit, is really pathetic. Um, and then they go to Leeds; they concede nearly two expect over two expected goals. Um, fortunate to keep a clean sheet. And then at Wolves, a Wolves team who basically went to the Emirates and just experimented with a new system. Uh, obviously, lost their main striker Jimenez through that nasty head injury, and they still managed to rack up two point two seven expected goals. So, um, you know, this this perceived Arsenal improvement in defence. It doesn't look like it's actually there. Uh, and that's something that we've been screaming about for a while at Infogol, um, having seen the underlying numbers, not just this season, but from the back end of last season under Arteta, where they basically perform like a bottom half team. And uh, and that's exactly what what they have done so far this season. So, yeah, that, that's um, I think that's enough Arsenal bashing um, for, for the week. But all in all, I'm saying that the Arsenal are very vulnerable defensively. And I think that Tottenham... While in yesteryear the you know the Mourinho v Arsenal sort of games have been tight affairs, uh, that's because Mourinho's teams are usually or Arsenal are usually on a level par with what Mourinho's uh, teams he's managing. Um, at this moment in time, Arsenal aren't on a level level playing field with Tottenham; they are uh, far inferior. And I'm hoping that that Mourinho actually sees that and and plays in a much more attacking manner because the last two matches that we've seen in the Premier League against Manchester City and Chelsea teams that are in and around the calibre that we've seen that we expect of Tottenham um he's played you know vintage Mourinho football which is sit back and counter attack and um you know in those matches they created a combined 0.9 expected goals um obviously they've been very fortunate to score twice very fortunate to get um four points but I'm pretty sure if you told Mourinho you play Man City at home and go to Chelsea, be unbeaten, keep two clean sheets and pick up four points. I think he would snap your hands off. Um, yeah, so I'm hoping that they revert back to what they showed us at the start of the season, which was, um, you know, really, uh, really intelligent attacking football. Um, second in terms of non-penalty big chances created so far this season with 18. Um, you know, I think they, I don't even think they created a big chance against Manchester City or Chelsea in those two matches. So 18 non-penalty big chances came in the prior 88 matches. 
So they are capable when they want to be uh, going forward. And um, I think one of the big question marks is obviously going to be Harry Kane. Is he is he fit for this one? Mourinho has toyed with the suggestion that he could be out. Um, whether that's just mind games, I'm not too sure. But um, Harry Kane's averaged 0.7 expected goals per average match this season, which is one of the best uh, processes in the Premier League. And you couple that with his expected assists per average match, which is 0.43. Um, and you've got a player who, every time he plays an average match length, which for, uh, is usually 95 minutes, um, is contributing around 1.13 expected goals. So if he is missing, it's a you know it's, a, it's huge for Tottenham. But um, you know I, I expect him to play. This is his derby at the end of the day. He, he loves scoring goals against Arsenal, and he does so pretty much every time he plays. So um, yeah, I think that we could be in for a little bit more of an entertaining game than what the market is potentially suggesting. The, the goal line is um, it's, well, it's sat on over two and a half, but it's 50-50 um, uh, on the market. The model makes over two and a half the favourite at 54%. So there's value in backing overs. Um, both teams to score, though, is, is my preference in a bet. I know we spoke in previous podcasts about, about uh, Arsenal's struggles in attack. I do think that this game will set up nicely for them to potentially get a, a goal on the counter-attack. Um, but I do see Tottenham winning. So... Um, you know, just adding to Arsenal's woes, really, and um, and really almost pointing the finger and question marks at whether Arteta is actually doing a good job or not, which is something that um, you know I've been not banging the drum for, but uh, just pointing out whenever I've had the chance to that, that actually the underlying numbers suggest that Arteta is perhaps not doing as well as what the results are suggesting, and, and they will catch up eventually. And it looks as though that's happened. Yeah, very much in agreement with you there. It's Pinnacle's prediction is a is a straight up Tottenham win at the the 2.03 price that that was quoted just a minute ago um and a couple of points that that you've mentioned that is a prediction based on the fact that Harry Kane plays and and starts the match I think Mourinho's kind of flip-flopped we had something similar with with Son earlier on in the season where he was definitely going to miss I think it was the Manchester United game um, and we we all know what happened there and 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 to your point I think you mentioned about the the apparent struggles in attack against Manchester City and Chelsea. And that is, that is by design, isn't it? From Mourinho, it's not as if they're, they're trying to actually break a team down and create chances They're they're more than happy to sit back and, and soak up the pressure. And as you said, four points from those two games, not conceding a goal. It's, it's great going and, and Arsenal are, are quite a, quite a bit below those two kind of sides. So Tottenham straight up uh, at 2.03 is the, I just, I just hope that for, for the neutral's sake, that, Mourinho views this game like obviously he would have gone to the Chelsea game and said right I'll take a point here um, you know even against Manchester City at home I'm pretty sure he would have happily taken a point I just hope he doesn't go into this game saying right I'll happily take a point at home to Arsenal I hope he says right this is a game that we need we should be winning and we need to win um, you know because every other team probably um, you know your likes of Manchester City your likes of Chelsea will probably beat this Arsenal team quite comfortably so um, yeah, I think if he does that, we could be in for a bit of an entertaining game. Yeah, I mean, he's been there and done it, hasn't he? He knows where the points have to come from, from games. I'm sure he probably sits there at the start of the season and works out which games they need to win, which games they can afford to maybe play for a draw in and whatnot. And obviously that will change over the course of the season. But I mean, you you have to look at, at Arsenal at home now as it's not the game that it was a couple of years ago, is it? it that, is a, that is a very winnable game, especially for a team like Tottenham. It is, yeah, yeah. I think the the only other interesting point to raise for this is the uh, whether Thomas Partey will be fit to play because when he has played for Arsenal, they have um, they've looked better defensively. They've actually conceded quite um, a few uh, fewer shots uh, per game when when Partey is, is actually played in that in that central midfield area. So um, if he's playing, then 
maybe look towards a more cautious game with Arsenal actually being able to break up Tottenham's play. But if he's not playing, then I, I do expect Spurs to just prove too strong. All right, then, well, let's move on to the next one. And we've got another of our, our highlight games. And this one, it's InfoGoal's highlight fixture with Liverpool versus Wolves. And I think Liverpool's season, certainly the early part of it, it was almost dominated by that loss to Aston Villa. And if you, I know we can't remove games out of a team season, but if you've got to take that out of the equation for a second, I think everyone would be saying they, they look as strong as ever. Um People are now beginning to see it as just the the freak game that it was. It's it's the only blot really on their their record this season. Up until sort of a couple of weeks ago, the process was looking really good as well. Um, but the the result against Brighton was, I mean, it's a bit of a weird one that the two penalties kind of skew it. There was a couple of marginal calls for disallowed goals for Liverpool as well, but they actually managed to put up 0.32 xG against Brighton, which. I would have said is is got to be one of their lowest totals over the last couple of seasons, but they actually only managed 0.20 xG against Atalanta in the in the game before. Um, perhaps just a minor blip. So so it'll be interesting to see what their their attack can do against a Wolves side who we've known for a while as having a great defensive setup, but they've they've struggled so far this season with with 1.4 xG against per game. Um, it's it's not terrible. It's not as good as they've shown over the last two seasons. But as you said, they they seem to experiment a little bit and go with the back four in the last game. So it'll be interesting to see if they they go with that again. Um, you also mentioned the, the the horrible head clash that J- Jimenez was involved in, and obviously they've they've lost Jota to their opponents this weekend, Liverpool already. Jimenez is going to be out for for quite some time as well now. So. They were already struggling a little bit going forward. So even now, it's, it's going to be even more difficult to, to one, create those chances, but also have someone that's going to put it in the back of the net as well. Um, there's a lot to consider here for betters in this one. It's The market seems to be pretty clear on what is likely to happen. Um, Liverpool have a, a 67% chance of winning the match according to their odds of 1.546. Um, Wolves are given just a 13% chance at odds of 7.15. Um, the goals mark on this is is two point five and three, perhaps a case of Liverpool's defensive issues or or injury concerns there being matched by Wolves's loss of their main threat because the the suggestion here is that the unders is the most likely outcome according to the odds. Um, it's it's a weird one for me for the market. I think Wolves do look like they're they're at a big price. I'm sure there's more to it than that, but. But what does the info goal model make for this one and, and what are you going with for your prediction? Yeah, similar to what you just said there. I mean, I think the the price of Liverpool is a little bit too short. I think, I know that they're in a position now in the Champions League group where they're already through. They've already clinched that top spot so they can rest players on, uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday next week, which wouldn't have been the case had they not beaten Ajax. So they can throw all their eggs at this effectively uh, um, to try and get three points on the board. But I still think they're too short. Um, that price that you quoted there for me is just too short. And the Infocom model agrees. The Infocom model prices Liverpool up at 53% chance of winning um, this match. Obviously, they're straight away Wolves look at a really good value play. Um, but yeah, for, for, for the bet that I'm going to put up for this, um, I'm going for the under 2.5. I think that, you know, obviously VAR was a massive talking point at Liverpool's draw with Brighton. Um, you mentioned the fact that the two penalties really did uh, bump Brighton's XG up. Without those, it created just 0.62 non-penalty expected goals against. Um, but despite starting with a front four um, of Jota, Firmino, Salah and Minamino, 
Liverpool did put up their worst attacking display of the season so far and by a long way. It was the first time that they failed to generate um, one XG in the Premier League this term uh, and the first time they failed to do so since they lost to Watford 3-0 um, last season. So really worrying signs that, that they couldn't create, carve out too many good chances. But defensively, although they've you know they've obviously had that the, the well documented injury crisis. They remain a really tough team to create against. Um, you know they've conceded twelve non penalty big chances so far this season. But if you like you said about the Aston Villa game, if you think that <laughs> half of that total came in that one game, um, and you know do the maths and quickly work it out that they've conceded six non penalty big chances in the other nine matches that they played, conceding around zero point six seven non penalty big chances per game, which puts them. Basically, in, in line with what Manchester City are doing, they've conceded six also. Manchester United a bit fewer in five, but it puts them better than what Spurs are doing defensively. So, you know, they, they deserve a little bit of credit for that, for dealing with that injury crisis. You know, I think at one point they had their entire back four out injured with uh, Alexander-Arnold, Van Dijk, Gomez and Robertson all out. I think Robertson's now back, but, um, you know, I think they deserve plenty of credit for that. Obviously, they're still missing the likes of Thiago as well, who's... who's, who's Obviously, Champions League winner with Bayern Munich last season, probably the best midfielder in the league, um, or sorry, in Europe at least. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think they deserve a little bit of credit for that. And I do think that um, Wolves will struggle to break them down here. Um, Wolves themselves, obviously, they tend to play Liverpool quite close at Anfield, but that's when they're deploying that trusty back five system. I think last, last season, they lost um, 1-0. The season before, it was 2-0 or vice versa. I can't really remember too well, but um, they've had really you know good success in terms of frustrating Liverpool at Anfield with that back five system. So it'll be interesting to see what way Nuno approaches this one, whether he goes for that back five or whether he continues to play um, that that back four that has you know you know it, they've had really good success. They probably played it twice in the Premier League, but last week against Arsenal they created two point two seven expected goals for. Um, that was by far, I think one of their best performances of the season in terms of an attacking standpoint, um, maybe their best. And, and the game prior to that was Southampton, in which they racked up 1.86 expected goals. So they appear to be a much more potent side when they're playing in that back four system. Um, but they've also conceded a few chances as well, which is naturally going to be the case. As soon as you open up a little bit more, you, there's a, a chance you can be picked off. But will they continue with that 4-3-3 system? Uh, basically going toe-to-toe with what Liverpool are doing. I mean, from an entertainment standpoint, I hope they do, but um, I wouldn't be surprised to see them take that more cautious approach and, you know, potentially drop back into a back five, just given or pay, paying respect to what Liverpool have done. And I think that, uh, that the reason that he were carried on with the back four last last week was because he, he could see that Arsenal were there for the taking, um, and I don't think that's going to be the case this time around. Liverpool, obviously, a much better team than what Arsenal are. So, um, yeah, I, while I do think that Liverpool will come through with a, with a win, I think it could be quite a narrow one. Um, <clears throat> four of Liverpool's last five games in, in all competitions have gone under two and a half goals, which may come as a bit of a surprise to people. But um, that, that sort of um, battening down the hatches, trying to be more difficult to beat, has definitely contributed to that. But also... Um, as a result of that, their attacking numbers haven't been as as impressive as what we would expect to see, although their process still has been pretty strong. So I like the look of the unders. Um, unders always comes into play when when Wolves are in town. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty big value bet as well. The overs are seen uh, is odds on at the moment. The Ivcom model thinks that the under two and a half should actually be odds on. We're giving that a 53% chance. 
the market's around a 44% chance of under two and a half. So there's a, a, you know, a decent chunk of value there. So that, that's the bet that I'm going to put up for, um, for the, you know, this, this selected game. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping it's going to be a really intriguing game as opposed to an entertaining one. I think we should talk more before we record these podcasts to make things a little bit more exciting because the the pinnacle prediction is also under 2.5 at 2.11. I mean, it might not be good for competition, but I think it's saying something where where we're quite aligned in terms of the thought process on that one. And and as you rightly said, there's been a a slight drop off in in Liverpool's attacking process just to kind of compensate and, and try and keep things tight with their the kind of second choice defenders that they're having to play with. Um, and as you said, although Wolves have, have not been as good as they, they have been in the past in terms of defence, they are one team that you can you can usually rely on in the league to kind of set up, consistently be sturdy at the back and, and always sort of make sure they don't concede first and then obviously try and go and win a game. And I think in a game against the one against Liverpool there, they are really going to sort of hang in there for as long as possible and, and probably play for the draw in, in all honesty. Right, so our last game of game week 11 is is Brighton versus Southampton. It's it's yet another one that looks like a, a good game on paper. We've we've talked a lot, probably almost every week, people might be tired of it now, but about how Brighton are, Brighton are better than than their record and their, and their position suggests in the league and and that really showed against Liverpool. And again, I, I know I'm repeating myself, but there, there was two penalties in there. But they did also limit Liverpool pretty well, a lot better than anyone else has managed in in sort of the recent past. Um, and they got a draw in the end, which is, is obviously a decent result. Um, it means they've now won the XG battle against Chelsea, Manchester United and Liverpool this season. Um, they've also played Tottenham, who are one of the few teams that they haven't actually deserved more out of the game against. Um so they have had a very difficult start. And I think if they continue playing the way they, they have been already, I think we might see them move up the table in the, over the coming weeks. And with, with everything so congested at the moment, I wouldn't be surprised if towards the new year we see them sort of moving into the top half. Um, Southampton have been, I mean, they've been a little bit of the opposite. We They were with Brighton in the teams that we kind of talked up at the the start of the season and Although they're in the top six, it does look good. They've been a little bit disappointing this season in terms of how they've really performed um, against those high expectations. And I mean, really, you could you could probably make a case for for swapping Brighton and Southampton in positions. Although there's almost ten ten places between in the between them in the table. Um, but in terms of the odds, this one it is it is very close. Brighton are the favourites at home at two point five three. The draw is 3.42 and, and Southampton are priced at 2.99. Um, so in terms of your percentages, you've got 37% chance on Brighton, around 29% chance on the draw um, and 34% chance on Southampton. So it's a it's a tight one to, to finish us off. It's It looks like it could be really close. Is there is there anything in the betting market that you're drawn to, Jake? Yeah, we, we've got this priced pretty closely as well but um, a small bit of value on Brighton which probably isn't a surprise given everything that you've just said there um, and the fact that we do rate Brighton really highly we're giving them a 40% chance of coming away with a win um, at the Amex and I, I, it's a bet that I do like purely because of exactly what you've said in terms of the the expected positions of these two teams and um, you know there's almost there's almost this perception that Southampton are a really strong side that could potentially gate crash the top six and that Brighton are always going to be that relegation struggler. But realistically, they're playing the opposite way around at the moment. I'm not saying Southampton would be embroiled in a relegation battle, but 
Um, so far this season, their underlying numbers haven't been as impressive as what we would have expected at the start of the season when we were obviously singing the praises. As for Brighton, they've been they've been just fantastic. The the way in which they played against Liverpool, the the fact that they limited just 0.3 expected goals to um, the team that had at that point got the best attacking process in the league and still does um, is is something that deserves a lot of credit. Um, they've only lost once in the last six matches um, in the Premier League. Have Brighton? They continue to win the XG battle pretty much every week, and that's you know that's great credit to what Graham Potter's doing, and um, obviously he's done it on a very small budget as well. He's not really spent that much money on on players, especially this season. But the process is is, is that of a of a top half team, and I mean if you compare it to the likes of uh, you know Arsenal, for example, or even even Leeds, who've obviously really really impressed this season, they they're posting numbers that are better than those teams um, in in terms of expected goals. Their expected goal difference is plus 3.6, which actually puts them um, above Manchester United as well uh, in sixth in, in in the expected goal difference table. So really impressive stuff. Based on expected points, it should be a place higher than that in fifth. So um, yeah, it's only a matter of time really before the results come and they do climb the table. They've got um, you know, the process of 1.56 expected goals for and 1.21 expected goals against per game is is really, really impressive. And Shouldn't be underestimated here, um, even against a team like Southampton, who who seem to be everyone's favourites at the minute. And uh, you know, you compare that to Southampton's process, which is one point one four expected goals for, one point four two expected goals against per game, and and you can sort of see that there's a little bit of a disconnect um, between the two. And you know, if you if you want to go diving a little bit deeper, Brighton at home this season have, have been really really good. One point seven seven expected goals for per game, zero point nine one expected goals against per game. So at the Amex. They've been exceptional, um, even more so when you factor in that the teams they've actually played at the Amex as well. They've played Chelsea at home. They've played Manchester United at home. They've played Liverpool at home in their in their five home matches. So really, really impressive stuff that they've actually come away from those matches with a positive XG process. And, um, and yeah, I, I think that there's a lot to like about them. Southampton... They've, um, I think they got what they deserved last last weekend, and and they've got what was what was coming, if you like. Um, the way in which they've played over the last probably six, seven matches has, has been on very, very fine margins. Um, obviously, you think back to the Aston Villa game as a good example. James Ward-Prowse scores two free kicks in that match of around a, a, and a combined 0.2 xg, gives them a, a really comfortable lead. Very similar to what happened against Manchester United, with obviously the low score, low probability header that was scored, and then obviously the War Prowse free kick put them two 0 up at half time. But they created around or racked up around 0.4 expected goals, and um, and yeah, it's only a matter of time before those sorts of goals do dry up. Um, it's unsustainable over a long period of time, and in that game, Manchester United obviously created plenty of chances and deserved to get them at least a point, and they eventually got all three. And it was the same against Wolves as well with a Walcott's low probability goal. Wolves then created plenty of chances and rightly got a point. So um, they've, they've been fortunate Southampton. They've scored with low probability chances, which isn't going to continue over the course of the season. They do need to start creating a, a, a better chances at, at a better rate. Um, it'd be interesting to see if they can manage to do that because I think they are a really, really interesting team to keep an eye on. They're a good team to watch with the um, the pressing style that they operate with. But yeah, only... Um, only Fulham, Burnley and West Brom have created fewer um, non-penalty big chances than Southampton this season. So just highlighting that, the fact that they, they don't tend to create chances with a high probability. Um, yeah, put all that together and, and Brighton all of a sudden look like a, a decent bet at the prices and, and something I can get on board with at, at that price. Maybe 
Um, if you want a bit more security, draw no bet on Brighton. Maybe pays just under even money. That's something that that also would be a value play. All right. Well, that is our that is our last game, and that is it for for today's show. It's it's been a pleasure as always, Jake. I think you you set some high expectations at the start of the show, but you you've definitely delivered on your promises. Some <laughs> some great insights shared as always. Um, and of course, just appreciate you taking the time to to come on and and help our listeners find some value. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ben. Enjoy it. And thank you to everyone for listening. If you do want to take your analysis to the next level and and look at the data that we've discussed in in today's show in more detail, remember to visit infogold.net, download the Infogold app on iOS and Android and follow at Infogold app on Twitter. You'll also get plenty of help with your predictions by following at Pinnacle on Twitter and reading the articles that can be found on the betting resources section of the Pinnacle website. All of the odds for this weekend's action are live on Pinnacle.com. Best of luck with your bets and remember to always gamble responsibly.